Hey everyone and welcome back to the Vitriol Podcast episode 9. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Maddie and I am a proud science nerd. Whilst the effects of COVID still are affecting us and I subsequently cannot do my usual in-person boozy science events, I'm bringing you these podcasts instead. So I hope that you all are keeping well and that this podcast might be helping to engage your brain. If you have any subject suggestions or follow-up questions, please get in touch with me. You can find me on Instagram at vitriol underscore science. You can also contact me via my website, vitriolscience.com, where you can find my email address and just FYI, also some super cute merch items. So for those of you that have been listening, perhaps since the start of this podcast, firstly, thank you very much. And secondly, I guess I have a little like life update for you. Our rental home suffered from some extreme water damage. And for the last five weeks, I think my husband and my tiny dog and I were living in a hotel. And since then, well, just recently, we have been able to move back into the top level of the house. So I'm recording this episode back at home on this new fandangled mic. So if you hear any little tippy tappy sounds, um, that is my dog walking around because he's upset that I'm not giving him attention right now, which is a common occurrence in this house. So welcome back to the podcast and let's get started after my little life update. So can you hear that? That's his feet. So today I'm going to be diving into and sharing a little bit more of my morbid curiosity side and be speaking to you guys about what happens when we die again. But specifically today's subject is about the process of an autopsy. So what it is, why it's done, how it's generally done. And again, just a little bit of history on it. So the first recorded autopsy was actually back in 44 BC and it was done on Julius Caesar. After his assassination, a bloke named, uh, I'm definitely going to pronounce this wrong, so I'm sorry in advance, Antistius, I don't know, Antistius, let's go with that, uh, examined his body to determine which of the 23 stab wounds proved fatal. So I don't know about you guys, but if someone's been stabbed 23 times and they've died as a result of that, I don't really know that much more exploration is needed. It's a pretty open shut case. No, nonetheless, this was done and it was determined that there was one uh, stab wound that actually cut his heart and that was the one that proved fatal. So who knew you could get stabbed 22 times and not die, apparently, according to that logic. So from around this time, so 44 BC, a lot of pathology and medicine was actually based off the humoral theory. And no, I'm not talking about jokes. So this was a former theory that explained physical and physiological health or illness in terms of the state of balance or imbalance of various bodily fluids. It was thought to have originated from the Greek physician Hippocrates, and he decided that health was a function of the proper balance of the four humors. So they were blood, black bile, yellow bile, and phlegm. This theory is why often when we hear stories about medicine way back in the day, you would have leeches or bloodletting as a doctor's recommendation, and it was done in an attempt to balance the humors out. So this is a subject within itself, so I might just put a pin in humoral theory and do an episode just on that in the future. But 
basically what I'm trying to get at is the fact that humoral theory existed for literally hundreds of years as the basis of health and illness. And the emergence of pathology and anatomy research allowed medicine to expand and understand the actual cause of or causes of disease and subsequently the causes of death. From the 1700s right through to the 19th century, autopsies were performed primarily to learn about human anatomy in order to improve diagnostic medicine. However, it is thought that our modern autopsy techniques and processes have been derived from the anatomists of the Renaissance. So primarily Giovanni Battista wrote the first exhaustive work on pathology and it is called The Seats and Causes of Diseases Investigated by Anatomy. This was the first sort of foundation on which many other doctors and scientists would work on in order to provide us with the kind of procedures we see in place today. So in the 19th century, a medical researcher named Rudolf Virchow, again, pronunciation, I don't know, do not come for me. In response to a lack of standardization of autopsy procedures, he established and published a scientific autopsy protocol. So prior to this, there, there was really none. And then during the turn of the 20th century, Scotland Yard actually created the Office of the Forensic Pathologist, a medical examiner who was trained in medicine and was responsible for investigating and determining the causes of all unnatural deaths. So that is a little bit on the history of autopsies from Julius Caesar all the way to Scotland Yard in the 20th century. That's the kind of evolution of the process of why autopsies were required to be done. Now I'm going to move on to a a very sort of generalized version of the modern day process. So how it's actually done. So today there are four main types of autopsy. The first is the forensic or coroner's autopsy. And this is done to find the cause and manner of death. And they're generally performed as prescribed by applicable law in cases of suspicious or sudden deaths. We then have clinical or pathological autopsies and they're performed to diagnose a particular disease for research. So they're done in order to determine, clarify or confirm a medical diagnosis that remained unknown or unclear prior to the patient's death. Anatomical autopsies are performed by students of anatomy for study purposes only And then we have virtual or medical imaging autopsies, which performed using imaging technology only. So things like MRIs and x-rays. So again, the basic modern process, this is the, the sort of generalized version, but depending on what kind of autopsy is required, you know, the circumstances of death, this will obviously vary, but I'll walk you through the sort of general process. So the first step is the external examination. So after the body is received, it's photographed. The examiner then notes the kind of clothes and the position on the body before they are removed. And next, any evidence is collected from the external surfaces of the body. Different lights can also be used to search the body surface for any evidence not easily visible to the naked eye. Samples of hair, nails and the like are taken and the body may also be imaged. Once the external evidence is collected, the body is examined for any wounds that are present. It is then cleaned, weighed and measured in preparation for the internal examination. 
examination. A general description of the body as regards to distinguishing features, so things like eye colour, hair colour, birthmarks, tattoos, that sort of thing, is then made. And an autopsy can actually just stop after this external examination. It can comprise of only this. And the principle behind this is that the medical records, the history of the deceased and the circumstances of death have all indicated as to the cause and manner of death without the need for an internal examination. So obviously an internal examination, given the option, most loved ones of a deceased person would rather there not be an internal examination just given the fact that it is obviously very invasive and I'm now going to walk you through the internal examination side of things. If not already in place a plastic or rubber brick uh, referred to as a head block is placed under the shoulders of the deceased. It's placed there in order to push the chest upwards in order to make it easier for them to incise. So the internal examination consists of inspecting the internal organs of the body by dissection and evidence of trauma or other indications of the cause of death. For the internal examination, there are a number of different approaches available when making the initial incisions. I'm not going to walk you through them all just because they generally follow the same Y-shaped pattern. They'll originate from the shoulders and conjoin around the sternum and then downward on the deceased. At this point, the chest cavity is opened. In order for the heart and the lungs to be examined in situ, the ribs and some associated cartilage and the sternum are removed. These are placed back after the autopsy has concluded. At this stage, the organs are exposed and the organs are removed in a systematic fashion. There are a couple of approaches to this and it really does just depend on who is performing the autopsy and whether or not there's any legislation in place to guide how the organs need to be removed, if there's an order. But regardless of that, the end result is the same. So all of the organs are removed in order to examine them, to weigh them and for small tissue samples to be taken. So moving on from that, the stomach and the intestines will then be examined and weighed. And this is usually done because it's useful to find the time of death, uh, just due to the natural passage of food throughout the bowel during digestion. So the idea is the more empty the area is, then the longer the deceased had gone without a meal before they had died. Moving on from this, the block that was used earlier to elevate the chest cavity is now used to elevate the head. This is done in order to examine the brain. An incision is made behind one ear, over the crown of the head to a point behind the other ear. I won't walk you through all of the gross details of how they gain access into this area, um, but the brain is then observed in situ. It's then lifted out for further examination and weighed just like all of the other organs. So after the autopsy has been completed, all of the organs are returned to the body unless the family have specifically stated otherwise, say for research. The body is then sewn up and moved onto the embalmer to prepare the body for any funeral arrangements. So the embalming process was discussed last week. So if you missed it, uh, go and give it a listen. It'll tack on nicely to the end of this podcast. That concludes the subject of autopsies. I hope I haven't grossed you out too much. Another little dip of your toes into the morbid curiosity side of my brain. So until next week, everyone, please stay safe, 
And don't be shy to get in touch with me via Instagram or my website with any questions or subject suggestions. And until then, I will be working on episode 10. Bye, guys. Bye.